guys, this is Doug Fletcher, and you are listening to What's the Hazard? Uh, this is a podcast about working safely, uh, about leadership, about how we take care of our employees, and, and a variety of other things. So, welcome. It is Friday, April 2nd here in Omaha, Nebraska. The sun is shining. It's still a little bit cool, but the forecast for the weekend is fantastic. So, if a guy had a camper, he would probably be, be out camping or something this weekend, I would think. They were smart. If they were smart, <laughs> exactly. Um... These episodes are being brought to you by three true believers, um, and I've started referring to them as true believers rather than sponsors for obvious uh, IRA or what is it, IRS issues or something like that, of course. Um, we did welcome a new sponsor last week, John Fallowich of Fallowich Construction Services. Good to have you on board, John. Welcome to the dysfunctional family, and uh, I do appreciate your support, man. I think you know that. I appreciate everything you're doing for us. Cheyenne Wolford, CCS Group, um, another true believer. And then in studio, I've got Jim Cover, Program Manager of the Nebraska Department of Labor Onsite Consultation Group, career safety and health professional, obviously a true believer. Thanks for coming up, man. No problem. It's good to see you. You too. Um, how are things going? Uh, pretty well, I think. We've, we're keeping busy. You know, the good. weather has been behaving for us for the most part, so we can go out and visit folks. Uh, We've got some um, new things, I guess, on the horizon. Do you? Are Are you approaching things differently? Obviously, as a result of yeah, the previous mean, year, or you it, guys, it, it, the COVID thing's really strange. I mean, it just depends on where we go and who we're dealing with, how we have to behave in re- in return. Right. You know, some people are very um, protective still, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and depending on where you're at in Nebraska, they oh, dude, could hear less. Oh, I've been out west, and it's just COVID, just a rumor out there. Yeah. They're hearing mumblings about this yeah. virus thing, yeah. but they're not doing much. And it's interesting. I, I talked to a mutual friend of ours whose name shall remain under the radar, but yeah, he's about that tall. But um, he was high to the table, probably. Um, but he told me they're still going gung ho. I mean, the agency is still On COVID. addressing this yes. COVID thing very seriously. I mean, there's still a. An emergency standard on the horizon, possibly. Oh, and that, that's coming. I so don't think it's, a, it's an if, it's a when. Yeah, I don't think the agency has really lightened up at all with regard to... And that, no. that's not a judgment. That's just purely an observation. Yeah. Whether this is appropriate or not is not for me to say. But I see a lot of people that have started to loosen up a little bit. And particularly out west, you know. Particularly out west. Well, okay, one of my guys went out to a place out west close to the panhandle, and they told him if he would have walked in with a mask, they were going to deny him entry and tell him to go. Are you kidding me? They were joking, I think. But they but, were just, I mean, that's kind of. Yeah, kind of the mentality. Where they are, I mean, at this yeah. point. But, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's going to happen. We've been telling all of our people that we go to, um, you need to have something on mm-hmm. the books as far as oh, the COVID. No like, do you require a mask? Do you have any assessment for your employees? That's exactly what I've been what's, recommending. What's your yeah. threshold? So, as long as you have something, I mean, unless you're like a nursing home or. Mm-hmm. That's well, if you're different. a very high-risk or a high-risk yeah. facility, you can't l- let up at all. No. If you're one of those medium risks, even the food processors, I'll bet they haven't oh, lightened no, up. Oh, no, no, no. In, in fact, uh, they're still top tier. Mm-hmm. But the low-risk folks, you know, your basic manufacturing, construction, those yeah. guys have seemed to have just um, basically just thrown in the towel to some degree. Well, I think, you know, with the vaccination thing going through now, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people were, you know, they get the second vaccination and they were bulletproof now yeah so it's life is normal when i don't know if that's entirely true or not with the new variants coming out but we'll, yeah, we'll i guess we will find see. Out. Yeah, yeah well no i guess nobody really knows and so that is that is interesting um 
I did want to make a couple of points before we get into the subject matter for the day. Number one, um, do you realize that Eric Clapton is 76 years old? I did. It is like Eric Clapton week on XM radio. I'm mm. driving actually a loaner. <laughs> I don't have XM, but I got a loaner from the car dealership while my car is being fixed. And it has this XM radio. I mean, it like beams music into the vehicle somehow. I don't get it, but I'm listening to Eric Clapton, so it's, it's awesome. 76 years old, man. Yeah, Slow hand. All, all my heroes are now in their <laughs> 70s and 80s. It's, so. It is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'd like to point out is um, when we first started this about a year ago, um, I deputized Pat and uh, Sasha. I don't know if, you know, we just need advocates, safety advocates out in the community. We need people that are paying attention. As, you know, as we know, as the people that do this for a living, the more, the more eyes, the better. I get pictures from these clowns about, you know, every, every three in the morning I hear my phone ping and there'll be a picture of, is this okay? <laughs> and it'll be Pat's wife up on a ladder or no. Sasha. Balancing on a sink. What was, so, was Sasha it was electrocuting a, herself well, or something? Well, it was a bulb, a light bulb in one of these lights that on a set, the light bulb actually broke, but it was still lit up. <laughs> so she just like, whatever, covered it up and just went throughout the whole, uh, with a dangling fire hazard. Nice. So we just wanted to see if you, if that was cool or not. Oh uh, yeah. Well, so, okay. so yeah, man, this is one of the, those things where you have to be careful what you ask for you know you give people a little information mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they turn on you you know so <laughs> this is like my wife my wife who is not a safety professional but who has lived with one for the last 30 years every time i'm out mowing the grass she's pointing at me like put your safety glass i mean you know it's your own fault it, it is it's your own fault you know? I, I was uh, right when the the snow the last snow was melting i saw some a-hole on his roof in my neighborhood with a push oh, broom not, oh, with yeah. nothing. And, I, and I, I'm with my wife, and I'm like, Doug would kill him. Well, Doug he's going to kill heyday. himself. I don't have to. Yeah. He had nothing. No, <laughs> no right. tie down, nothing. Exactly. I almost took a picture. I, I almost took a picture, but then I thought well, I, I, there was too many cars. I just didn't have a chance to. But, you step out in traffic been, to get yeah, your picture. Do something more, more dangerous than <laughs> right. he's doing to take a picture of him. But, yeah, I thought of That's it. That's often the case, too. But, yeah, man, and, and, I mean, we can joke about these things because they're funny from where we sit right here, but – Man, I, we did a f- few fatality investigations of guys that were getting on. Now, these are more commercial roofers. They're not homeowners, but they get on the roof, try to knock that ice off so they can continue roofing, putting down paper or shingles or whatever, and slip off and fall and kill themselves. I mean, it's terrible. It is a crazy world, which is why we will be Job employed forever. forever. <laughs> That's right. Well, the topic today um, I thought would be interesting to talk about is industrial hygiene. Uh, you are an industrial hygienist or trained as an industrial hygienist. You're kind of the, you're the boss now, so you don't probably hang as many pumps as you used to. No, I haven't hung a pump for quite a while now, but I still think I remember a little bit. Of yeah, it. you'll remember some of it. And I, I, I was trained as an industrial hygienist, so my job description with OSHA and with the DOD was industrial, I think, GS0069 or something was the designation, oddly. <laughs> you know, maybe that's no coincidence. Oh, my God. Can we edit that out? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. No, sure. you, don't, you don't have to edit it out, man. It's fine. But, um, yeah, my mom hopefully will not listen to this episode. Um, but I, I find the I love the profession. I've always found industrial hygiene really fascinating. It was not certainly anything I intended when I was no. going to school. No, I didn't either. We both kind of stumbled into it. But it is really interesting. But um, I would like to talk a little bit about industrial hygiene because I know there are a number – of companies out there that do a little bit of their own sampling. Mm-hmm. They'll hang their own pumps. They may not have an industrial hygienist on staff, but 
It is, unless they're using you guys, which is a free service, and let's talk about that a little bit before we get into okay. more detail, but you guys offer industrial hygiene services to the qualified we, companies. We, we, anything you can think of from noise to vapor sampling, silica, metals, welding, welding um, sky's the limit, really. And it's all, it's completely free. There's no fee for the pumps. There's no fee for the lab, which will kill you in a hurry if you're doing mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you have us to blame, too, if, like, with something, you know, we give you the report and here's the numbers. This is what we found. It's not on you. It's on us at that point. Right. And we're doing all the work for you. This is an incredible service. And so, again, two, 250 employees in a location, 500 company-wide. Yeah. Are you making any allowances to change that, or what? what well, is that still? It, it, it's what's written in the, in the procedures manual. Right. However, if we don't have anybody on deck, we can provide service to larger companies. Okay. It just depends on where we're at on you know schedule. Like right now, so it doesn't hurt them to request. No, it. they can go ahead and request it, and then and we do when we do run short of you know small employers at some point in time, then we can move on to the That's bigger cool. folks. Yeah. Uh, Right now, the eastern side, Nebraska industrial hygienist, he's busy, but I can see where in a m- two months or three, he might have he, some time. He might have some time for bigger companies. So if you, if you were thinking about doing this and you want to give us a try, I would encourage mm-hmm. you to do I so. I would too. And and I mean, I, I do a lot of industrial hygiene work for companies now, um, but I encourage them to use you because it is very expensive and I, I'm, I'm not trying to eliminate business. You know, there are times when you probably want a third party. Or there are times when you need a CIH under certain circumstances, or there are there are circumstances, but but this is something that can be done internally. I mean, if you have a little bit of understanding of the principles, you can do this yourself. But I think the service you guys offer is fantastic, man. I hope people avail themselves of that rather than just not do it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no excuse not to do it right now. I mean, and, and you know, in years past when I was still doing it, I was buried. I mean, I was probably a year behind every year for a long time, but that's not the case anymore. Good. Um, And we're, I think we're about as painless to work with as you're ever going to experience with any government entity, much less. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no fines. There's no fees. We only ask that if we find something that's a quote unquote serious hazard that you fix it. Right. Within 30, 60 days, somewhere in there. A reasonable time period. Yeah. and, And we're, we're very flexible. I mean, if we need to work, you know, order parts or we need to do some engineering, you know, and that's that's not a problem. We'll work with you on that. But, that's cool. Um, yeah, and I know when I used to have to bill for the other program, that was the painful thing. I'd mm-hmm. have to send these poor people that had like 10 employees a $10,000 bill. Right. And that's when it gets, you know, that's painful. Yes, it is. And, and I do the same thing, man. I tell them right up front, you know, they tell me what they want and I tell them what it's going to cost mm-hmm. and it's... You know, I just look at a price sheet from the lab that I use. I can tell you exactly what it's going to cost mm-hmm. my time and the analysis, reporting, that whatever. And it can be very costly. So I would check consultation first, and see if they're available to do that for you. Money's no object for us. Uncle Sam is paying the mm-hmm. lab fee bill. So instead of asking for six metals on a welding fume scan, we just ask for all of them to show up. Run the whole profile. So if you, you get everything that showed up that day. Yeah, that's cool. From aluminum to zinc. That's that's real. Well, look at you, <laughs> aluminum to zinc. I yeah. love that man. <laughs> yeah, very nice. I was going to say antimony comes first, but it, aluminum comes first. You're right. No, that's well, excellent. Yeah. So that's very good. So yeah. everybody needs to keep that in mind, and I, I do think that's tremendous. But let's get to the the subject matter. Um, I want to throw out the hierarchy of control first, and this is uh, this is you and I have talked about this on many mm-hmm. occasions because. 
you know, uh, as industrial hygienists and uh, the regulations themselves talk about utilizing, following the hierarchy of control. We would, obviously, we would love to eliminate the hazard if possible or substitute less hazardous chemicals perhaps or less hazardous uh, ingredients in our procedure, whatever that might be. And then you have your engineering controls. You go through administrative and work practice controls. You go, th- and then ultimately we end up at PPE probably, you know. And, I mean, that makes, the hierarchy makes sense. I mean, Definitely. Um, you know, PPE, as we all know, is just pretty unreliable. It's, you know, it's, it's user dependent. There are just so many variables that go into it that, we would prefer not to defer yeah. to PPE if we can help it. It's definitely the last line of defense. It is. And it's a, and it's a quick go-to. I, it's less expensive oftentimes. People jump on PPE right away. And if you have not at least evaluated the other options, I think OSHA doesn't, doesn't care for that necessarily. No, and we've both been on we've, that merry We've been down that road, yeah. yeah. To the extreme in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it's very dependent on whose point of view you're looking at that day, yeah. what, what, uh, what's uh, right. suitable engineering controls? Like, what have you looked into? Well, that kind of is, that is the language, really. It, just, it talks about feasible engineering controls. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to start with that, and everybody should do this. I mean, this is just, you know, realistically, this is the procedure, that, the process, or the mindset that we should all go through. Is there a way to eliminate, substitute, engineer out, you know, somehow mm-hmm. control? That might be ventilation, that might be some kind of enclosure, whatever that might consist of, work practice controls, administrative controls, rotations or things. But again, they use the, the term feasible, and I think that's where there is some subjectivity. What truly is feasible? Is it what, what known and recognized now, or are we looking to break some new technology? Or I've never really gotten a great explanation for what is feasible, because it's, it's all depend on who you're I, asking I and what the situation is. I, I don't understand that how, really either. I think a lot of times it's how big your checkbook is, well, how I many think people are on site, mm-hmm. um, what we're dealing with, you know, yeah. toxicity-wise. Yeah. And, you know, we've gone to some extremes on... And you and I have had a couple of places where mm-hmm. we've gone to extremes, mm-hmm. and that even wasn't good enough in some people's eyes. Yeah, that's a tough one. So I mean, that that that's not that's pretty unique. That one I'm th- what we're thinking of on that one together. But you know, there's there's room for doing some simple things. I think, and I think people have made strides. I mean, I think of 20 years ago when I first started getting into this to today, there's a lot of things you just don't see anymore. I would agree. Or they've done a lot of tweaking, or like isocyanates. I mean, they've mm-hmm. been a little sneaky with that. Where the high societies that are regulated, they went and added a couple extra bonds on the end of a thing, and now it's no longer the regulated substance. Mm-hmm. It's something else that's non-regulated, right? But essentially has the same hazards, right? And just because it doesn't have any, you know, appell associated with it, people still use it and think that they're okay using it. Yeah, man, that 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 is a great point, great observation. I mean, there there is um, industrial hygiene from a regulatory perspective, mm-hmm. and then there's just you know, good practice industrial mm-hmm. hygiene where, you know, the regulatory issues or the permissible exposure limits, those types of things really aren't the consideration. What we're trying to do is just make yeah. sure we have a safe work environment. And, you know, and since I've been with consultation, when I did a report for somebody, when I did a sample, there was always the O'Chapelle. This is where you're at regulation-wise, mm-hmm. but I also put the ACGH threshold limit value. Mm-hmm. This is what we should probably strive for to keep people right. from having health issues. And sometimes there's a huge void in between those. Yeah. Would you explain what those are just for okay. that, they, they, people that may not be so, familiar? So if you're with. not an industrial hygiene nerd like Doug and I are, 
the permissible exposure limit is what OSHA the has, regulatory yeah, limit. Yeah, it's a regulatory limit yep. that they've established, typically for an eight-hour day, of whatever we're dealing with. And then the American Conference of Industrial Hygienists, it's a private organization, nonprofit, that they put out their own, I guess, yeah, those limits. Yeah, yeah, those limits. And they're called threshold limit values. And they are more current with science and technology than what the PELs are. And if you really dig into the weeds, OSHA's PELs back in 19, was it 73? Yeah. They old. essentially stole ACGIH's TLV booklet and made it PELs. At the time. And they're still there. And they're, they're, still, they're, they're still the same ones from the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, they are a, very slow to change, Yes, man. and ACGIH is actually, they update theirs all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think at least every three years or something, they're publishing typically, new... Typically, yeah. They're reviewing them all the time, yeah. but they, they pick and choose some every year or two to, to focus on and see if they need to adjust limits or not. Right. So if you're if you're really serious about keeping your people healthy, those TLVs from ACGIH are mm-hmm. the ones you should be really looking at versus PELs. Yeah. We always, we always tell people the PEL is, if you're, if you're going to grade school, that's a D+. Plus. <laughs> that's a great description if you're trying to you know stay in the b plus a range you need to look at the acjh dlvs yeah man that's a that's a great way to look at that's a great analogy you're right um but you know as a regular as an ih with osha you know it's interesting because even when we would do um air or noise monitoring um we would also include that a uh, little bit of allowance for analytical error mm-hmm. Because if you're going to issue a citation to someone, yes. a legally binding sufficient citation, you need to be within a certain level of confidence. You needed to be sure that we were, you know, looking at mm-hmm. appropriate numbers. And so not only would we sample to see if we were at the PEL, but, you know, if there was going to be a citation, then we'd have to have that confidence interval and add that allowance. And so, again, it's we're talking about two different things here. I mean, yeah. You're talking about a regulatory requirement, the D plus, and you're also talking about, you know, based on current science, mm-hmm. what is the appropriate level of yeah. exposure, and that's the ACGIH or yeah. there are other OEMs. And the one thing, I mean, for instance, and I'm not able to quote these numbers off the top of my head, but manganese is almost always found in every welding sample you'll always. ever. I mean, it's just there, but there'll be more in and it's high tensile strength stuff more than it is in base metal. Mm-hmm. And ACIGH's limit's pretty low. Mm-hmm. I think it's, what, 0.2 milligrams per I think it is meter. 0.2. OSHA really doesn't have one for all intents and purposes. No, they have it's a ceiling. A, yeah, it's a ceiling limit, which means you're swimming in it yeah. and, and literally drown in it before it does any harm. But, right. But that's the, that's the dichotomy there. you got mm-hmm. almost nothing to a very small limit, and, but it's a long-term thing. I mean, they, yeah. you could weld for 20 years and never have problems, and then when you turn 50, 60 years old, things start showing up. Mm-hmm. That is interesting, and that is the one that almost always trips up. Yep. I mean, I do Anymore. a lot of welding sampling. Yep. I'm, I'm still hanging pumps, unfortunately, man. I mean, you know, I thought at some point I could, I would be able to assign that to someone else. And, but I, I do enjoy it. I still go out and hang pumps. And in the welding world, man, it is almost always the manganese that is over Anymore. that TLV. Yep. And so you have to make some kind of a recommendation. I mean, even though that OSHA may not be able to cite you for this, Man, this is something that we need to take a yeah. serious look at. And, you know, and, and in some cases, I had nickel would show up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then depending on who you're getting your 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 uh, materials from, shall we say, you can have things that are hidden in there that you don't even know about. Mm-hmm. So if you go by the SDS sheet, point. everything's fine. I had this happen two years ago. I was actually training an industrial hygienist, and we went to a place that we've been to year in, year out for 20 years. They're in good shape. They're very on top of things, and we did some sampling. 
And lo and behold, lead showed up out of nowhere. Isn't that interesting? And we're like, okay, so it's just this one sample. And it was like three or four samples. Mm -hmm. And then we repeated it and it showed up again. So then we're like, okay, so this is. So somehow in their heat or whatever, whatever they're doing, they were welding. The supplier was sending them stuff that they Mm -hmm. were getting from another origin. Yeah. And it was. Contaminated. We called it contaminated. They, the origin people called it lightly leaded. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, unquote. Uh Uh-huh. Of course. (laughs) That's obvious. Yeah. So. Lightly leaded. But it it was small enough with some. But it was detectable. You picked it up. We picked it up. And, but we did, you know, we did blood testing. We did our due diligence. It hadn't migrated. Mm -hmm. Nobody had gotten a dose of it. So with some ventilation changes and some other things, even though they were still working with it, we got it down, way down below the Pell. Mm-hmm. Or any in the action limit. Yeah, good. But but had we not been there to do the testing, routine testing, we'd done it two years before that. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have picked it up. Isn't that interesting? So I mean, it, and it's well, happened before. So that's so that's another thing that is really important to comment on, man. Um, and again, I have no idea where we're going with this. Obviously, I mean, we just you know we we never have a script. We just let it fly. But. Um, one, you know, let's talk about the definition of industrial hygiene first of all. So I'm just going to quote you the basic definition. Um, the recognition, evaluation, and control of, of uh, physical, biological, chemical agents that could do harm to employees. It's kind of a general. Very catch-all. A catch-all description. We've, we throw anticipate in there before recognize periodically just, you know, as a matter of profession, just to try to identify where we might anticipate some of these exposures. But I see a lot that, or I should say, I see often that people will, they'll gather one sample, you know, and uh, just what you were describing, they take one sample, which is essentially representative of that time period under those conditions on that date in history. It's a snapshot. Yep. And they're done. They feel like, well, I've got, I did my industrial hygiene due diligence, we're done. But what you just described you go back year after year and do this and repeat the sampling, and you identified this outlier simply because of this. I mean, more data is good in the industrial hygiene world, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you're always, like, when we show up to do something, and I call it drive-by industrial hygiene because we only get to spend one day there typically. Mm-hmm. So we really need to know what you're doing when, before we show up and what we're going to be looking at. But we get one day, and it's a snapshot, like you're saying. We get, a, we get one shift. We get, you know, whatever, how many people we're going to sample. But as soon as we leave, you know, there's a, a thousand different variables that can come into play before and after we leave. So we call it an average day because it's, if it's non-typical, it's average. Right. But are we getting the worst case scenario or is there something that you guys do once a year that we, we weren't mm-hmm. there to catch? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that, you know, worry me a little bit. Yeah, man. But, you know, when we have, we have several people over the years, um, I can't think of how many off the top of my head, but there's over a dozen. They have us come out every year, two years, that's just good. to do a tune-up, if nothing else, yeah, and just good. check to see if you know if everything's still where it needs to be. And that's yeah. how we caught this instance. Yeah, but you so, would have never known of it otherwise. No, if they no, had never. No, and and who knows how long, how bad it could have gotten before we mm-hmm. we caught it. Yeah, yeah. I that is one of the challenges of doing your own sampling. And so um, you, you really need a strategy. Obviously, it's not just haphazard. You can't just, I'm going to throw a pump here and I'm yeah. going to call it good. I mean, there really needs to be a strategy. I think for what we do, the assessment is the critical part of the day because, well, that and a healthy dose of paranoia. Mm-hmm. But 
but you, if you don't do a proper assessment and find out what you know the hierarchy of hazards are in a, in a location and plan accordingly, you might be wasting your time doing something that doesn't yeah. really matter versus something that does matter. Yeah, that, that's very true. I, I worry about that for with people that are doing their own sampling. Granted, um, I do have a few clients that have me come back periodically mm-hmm. to resample, which, you know, it's it's interesting as a consultant, it's hard to encourage things that look like are in your own self-interest. Well, you need to have me back every year to resample this. And all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, here we go, you yeah. know. But you do. Well, and, or at and, least you need to get multiple samples. And I'm preaching that, and there's really no self-interest on my part. Yeah, I mean, other it, than just knowing. You know, there's so many things that go on. Like, I, I'll talk to these guys. And that's what I used to That's what I loved about the job. I'd go hang pumps or monitors or whatever, and I could BS these guys all day from all mm-hmm. over the state and – you know me. I like to sit around and BS well, a little bit. So. It's part of the gig, man. Yeah, but that's where I would find out things, and yeah. they wouldn't think about it. You know, we're just talking. I'm like, well, what do you do about why you do this? And they're like, oh, we do it like twice a year. Mm-hmm. And you f- would find out that they're using the stuff that was so nasty that I'd almost faint. Right. And I'd have to go like to their boss and say, do you really use this still? Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, but you're only using it today. Mm-hmm. We need to come back for that day. Exactly. Because that's worrisome. Well, that is that is inter- that is oftentimes the case. Um, certainly as an enforcement guy, we rarely saw a typical day, you know? I mean, if, you know, off, usually you didn't sample the day you roll on site. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you do your opening conference. Maybe you do a bit of a walk around or something. You make a determination of what you want to sample, and then you come back. And when, interestingly, when I come back, man, every, every overhead door was open, every fan was on, you know, the, the production was probably half of normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's an understandable reaction to an enforcement activity. But again, the information is skewed of no value, really, or very little value. It's not representative. And it, it does make a huge difference. Like doors, a pedestal fan even will change oh, everything. It does, man. Um, and that's that's the one thing that's always interesting. Like you, I know you guys have had some times where some of your equipment's been sabotaged, oh, for lack absolutely. of a better word. Oh, yeah. I can only think of a couple times in 25 years where that was the case. But when I would be hooking people up, I'm like, I'm not enforcement. I'm here to find out how much stuff you're breathing in right. and you're exposed to. I don't really care about anything else other than find out what, what you're picking right. up. So if you're going to wear this, and it's, it's going to be a pain today, Let's do it right so that we don't have to come back and do it a second or a third time. Yeah. And I got a lot. I mean, I rarely got anybody that wasn't cooperative. I'll bet. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous advantage, you know, as a non-enforcement entity who's just gathering yeah. information for the greater good. But, you know, even now, though, I still get, you know, some of that's washed off now. And, they, they, mm-hmm. you know, we're government, so yeah. we're going to do things a little different. And it's like it's not to your benefit, man. It's just Let's just do it, the you know. I hate to get worst case scenario because that's not really representative either. Yeah. Let's get normal. Just get a, give me a case. normal day. Yeah. Just give me. But if you are doing something, you're using some exotic metals or something yes, or something definitely. that's been, let's, let's get that in there or yeah. at least make an effort to come back and capture yeah. that because that is important. And, you know, tip, like if, if, if we had the opportunity and we had a bunch of folks that did welding, we would try and go in the wintertime mm-hmm. so the doors were shut. Again, a great point. So we would get, you know, what is the normal worst case? Right. As yeah, versus, here in Nebraska, that makes a big difference. Oh, a huge difference. And, you know, we would try to do that if possible. Sometimes mm-hmm. we didn't have that luxury, but at least mm-hmm. we'd get a baseline. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the one thing. I mean, if, you've not, if you have any chemicals that you work with or you do any welding or 
anything like that, and you've never established a baseline, you're hanging out there. Right. Because you have not assessed 100% for what OSHA would probably come in and say mm-hmm. under 132, the PPE standard. Right. Have you done your reasonable assessment? Right, right. And if you don't have any paperwork to back that up, that answer's no. And there's an $11,000 learning fee. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know that uh, back in the day, uh, when we would go into facilities, and these are manufacturing locations primarily, but fixed facilities, but, you know, it was easy for us to do some wipe sampling and surface sampling, and, and we would come back and say, well, you know, I found um, hex chrome mm-hmm. on these tables, or, yeah. I, you know, show me your uh, hex chrome sampling. Well, we, we've never done any of that. Well, you know, I have at least some obje- objective evidence that it's in this facility. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know when it got here, actually but... settled on that surface. Maybe that was 50 years ago. I have no idea, but, you know, I put two and two together, and this tells me that you haven't done your baseline sampling, yeah. and I'm about to... Uh, you know, have at you, yes. so to speak, you know, so. And, and if you have a paint booth, I think, I mean, any ocean industrial hygienist walking facility that has a paint booth, they just went on oh, my day, just got easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to find yep. a dozen citations on that alone and I'm out the door by noon. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yep. So, I mean, I don't want to scare anybody, but if you've never done baseline sampling. Yeah. So let's talk about out. that. So, you know, paint, you know, painting operations, welding operations, oh. Dipping, sp- dipping, spraying, coating operations, um, silica, you know, if you're cutting anything or yeah. grinding anything that might be yeah, silica right. based. And that's going to be a big push coming up. Yeah. It has yeah. always been the last few years, but it's going to be a big push for the next few years. Yeah. And noise. I mean, noise is very common to almost all industrial and commercial mm-hmm. workplaces. So you probably need to do some baseline noise monitoring, some dosimetry just to establish those levels. But that's great sure. advice, man. If you have not done anything like that, and you do, if you're doing anything other than just stuffing envelopes, and maybe even them, for that matter. You know, I've, I've seen smaller things construed out of almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes legitimate, sometimes not. But really, if you're doing any type of industrial process, or light industrial even, you've got something going on. Right. Or if there... If, or if there is anything on, at least have somebody come out and assess it and say, we didn't see anything. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. A and third party. A knowledgeable person that's a third party is a great insurance policy. Mm-hmm. At yeah. least at least to show you did your due diligence. Right. And then if you get caught short, you say, well, I had these people out. Right. And in our case, like, well, it was your people. Right. And, yes. And they didn't see anything. You can yeah. blame us all. You mean blame us. Yeah, exactly. But do something. Yeah, do something. But, yeah, if you've not done it, you're... you're you're really letting yourself hang out there for mm-hmm. one liability, but also for enforcement. Yeah. And I do think, you know, again, man, you're, you're hitting on a lot of interesting things. But, you know, if, if your people or me or someone like us comes out and does that initial assessment, does the baseline monitoring, and then you want to continue that yourself, having observed that and having discussed it with someone qualified to and do we, that assessment. And we help some people. Yeah, do then, then do it yourself. You know, I, I hook them up with the lab that I use. I use SGS Galson out of, like, good East lab. Syracuse. It's a good lab, you know, and the technical people are really helpful. They rent equipment to you. They do the analysis. They send you the information in the report. Sometimes, I think sometimes the reports are confusing to people that don't work in those and, yeah. in those numbers frequently, those concentration numbers. I've, I have just, you know, evaluated you know, some companies' industrial hygiene work that they've done themselves, and you can see that 
you know, they have, you know, mismanipulated the the data, the numbers a little bit. They misunderstand, you know, the numbers, and that leads to some, unfortunately, erroneous decision-making. Mm-hmm. Well, and every lab's different. And every lab gives you a different report, man. Because, like, our lab that we use, I think... You guys I, use Wisconsin? Yeah, we still use Wisconsin, I believe... Oh, they do report differently. Yeah, I think I think if you if you are with government, they they give you concentrations. Mm-hmm. If you are with, you know, an outside entity, a private industry person, they give you the the time weighted averages. Yep. But if you don't know the difference, yes, you are going to be doing a lot of math mistakes. That's exactly right. And even those conversions from concentrations to time-weighted averages and things like that can be a little bit confusing mm-hmm. if you don't do that all the time. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they switched over. Well, when I was with that other outfit mm-hmm. with the state, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they reported back to us like it was a, a private company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then I made to jump over to consultation, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> this is different, yeah. Completely different format. And I yeah. had to call the lab and say, what, what am I looking at? Mm-hmm. And they were very helpful walking me through it. So if you are confused... Don't be afraid to reach out for help from the lab if you're doing that, and right. they will walk you through the best they can. If that mm-hmm. doesn't work, call me, call Doug, somebody. Yeah, I would agree. And touch base and just say, what am I looking at? Yep. And even even the equipment, man. Every now and then, <laughs> I will order some equipment, and the lab will send something that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, and I've I had that problem. I ever. still get a little, <laughs> I still get a little squirrely with new equipment because I've had a number of equipment screw ups over the years where. You know, I was, I was just thinking as I was driving over here how many different screw-ups I've made. And by, by no means am I a great industrial hygienist. I mean, what we do in workplace hygiene is much different than, you know, some of the brainiac hygiene, you know, the pocket protector hygienists, you know. You and I, I think, are actually pretty cool guys. By, I think so. By comparison yeah. to most hygienists, you know, <laughs> but reasonably so. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm a competent hygienist. I know what I'm doing. I understand how it Bits, but uh, I, I make you make mistakes from time to time, or the equipment fails you, well, or as you said, you, the employees kind of tamper a little bit. The best intentions sometimes don't matter because I mean, like I've I've used the exact same equipment. I mean, variations on purchase date from 1997 till today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, very little variation. So I've been blessed in that. I haven't had to learn different pumps or different decimeters. I mean, different models perhaps for the decimeters, but my air pumps are the same pumps essentially that I started right. using in 1997. So that's great. But like in your case, like when the lab, you're at the mercy of the lab or where you're running equipment from, mm-hmm. unless you're buying your equipment, and then that gets pricey. Yeah, I've not bought my own equipment. Truthfully, and it does get pricey. I probably could have by the as much as I've used it, but. You know, how do you, you know, it's hard you, to you say. have to push that cost off on the and I, and I have some and I have some clients that I've worked with that they've bought some of their own equipment and it works great for them for three to four years. But since they don't use it as frequently as I do, you know, things don't run well if they just sit. Right. They have to be used and kept in yeah. you know, working order. That's and interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't always they work do. out the way they think they spend all this money to buy their own equipment. And then by year three, it's not running right. And they're having to sit in and get fixed. And like you could just have me come out. You know, it's interesting, man. Um, I started in as an industrial hygienist entry level back with the DOD back in 86 or 87, somewhere around there, something like that, and got pretty good training. You know, they sent me to NIOSH, and they sent me to the, I was in Ohio, so the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation had some really good training. And so, and then we had a senior hygienist on staff, so I got good, I, reasonably good training. Um, I got to OSHA, and... Um, 
the two hygienists on staff at the time, both friends of mine, Seth Burmeister, Joan Bowen, they were the hygienists on staff when I arrived. Um, but I don't think either of them had been doing it for a significant amount of time. I think I'd been doing it for almost 10 years. I was spent three years with Terracon doing that field type of work. And so when I got there, I was relatively competent. And I can remember, you know, they had three sets of equipment for three hygienists were the, you know, the staffing. And so the new guy gets the shitty equipment, oh, of, course. of course. You know, I remember Seth bringing me in my equipment, my five pumps and my five dosimeters. And, and I opened up the cases and I looked at it like, uh, you know, where's the canary? I mean, this stuff was so old. It winded up. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. It was, it was, yeah, you cranked it up. You I know. can only imagine. It well, I remember, was horrible. I remember a, a friend of ours that shan't be named, uh-huh. but going from like, what I had to what you guys had you know, access to, he was just like, this is crazy. Yeah, I know. It is uh, crazy. Because I think you guys are still using disseminators that were, like, made by DuPont in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, they were, They didn't have yeah. readouts. You had to, I don't know, mm-hmm. mind meld with them or <laughs> right, something. Right, exactly. Well, there was no, none of it was downloadable or anything. And I, when I first started with OSHA, we were using soap bubbles and graduated cylinders Still to calibrate. One. Do you still have that? I still have one. I mean, it's a pri- primary calibration equipment, and, it's, and it works. It's archaic, but it's But you works. were using a, a stopwatch and the soap, and the, you put your pump and watch the bubble go up. I mean, oh, my God, the equipment now is so much more sophisticated. It is, but it also presents its own challenges. Yeah? It can lie to you. <laughs> yeah, of, of course. Or yeah. it has to be maintained pretty. It doesn't suffer abuse or sunlight or heat well. Yeah, it, that's true. But you can't really carry around a, what, a thousand liter beret either in your trunk of your car or else you'll get stopped for paraphernalia. Oh, that's exactly right, man. What are you making? Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an industrial hygienist. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whatever the hell that is. I can remember traveling with my equipment on the airplane. Oh, geez. And um, that always made TSA a little bit uncomfortable when they would turn your, and the, you know, that pump has that low rumble, you know, or whatever. What the hell is this? I can remember one time I was out in western Nebraska doing some sampling, and I, so I had all my equipment in the hotel room mm-hmm. charging up, and you know, and uh, I think the uh, housekeeping. housekeeping person reported me. I had like a deputy arrive at my room and ask me what the hell was going on. You know, I mean, it was just it's a little different. Well, I mean, a little it, different. I mean, when I had applied for the job, I saw the job posting in the Nebraska Bolton. I had no idea what it was. I read this description, like, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I put in for it, and here I am today. But, yeah. but that no, was my route too. We had no, I had no idea that that even existed before that day. Right, and and now we have people, and you probably have employees. They come to us with industrial hygiene degrees and yes. backgrounds, and yes, yeah, so and that's that's a new phenomenon too. Mm-hmm. Our la- um, one of our guys now doesn't have an industrial hygiene background per se. He has a lot of safety background, but. The, the gentleman before him had a master's degree in industrial hygiene from Tulane. Wow. Very I'm like, cool. Really? And you're in Nebraska? Okay. <laughs> what are you doing here, Whatever, man? man? But, yeah. you know, and the other kid got his uh, industrial hygiene uh, degree here from here at UNO. Nice. It's, it's a variation of a public health degree, but it's industrial hygiene. Yeah. So, I mean, cool. those options weren't available to me. No, me either. Or you. I've we never even heard age. of that stuff. So, yeah, the universities were, were clueless about that here. Yeah. Well, it, it, closest, it, it, but so hopefully they hopefully they're good hygienists, man. Hopefully oh, they they're awesome. To be good no, hygienists. We're, we're the, you know, they're really the the crew I have now is the best I think. Bar, you know, we've ever you know, there's been a few here and there to come and go, but you know, 
everybody included it's been a great group of people i couldn't nice. ask for more good for you that's excellent yeah. you're gonna leave things in good hands when you finally pull the plug on this yeah whenever that is <laughs> 15 20 years yeah well let's talk a little bit about sampling itself i mean if we're if we're trying to coach somebody through this you know some of the must do some of the issues that you've had I, like you mentioned it before i with osha I would occasionally have people tamper with my equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you know, you've determined your strategy. You get employees to volunteer to be sampled, which was also very difficult. And a lot of people said, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And I really had no way to compel them without going through the process, you know. I always ask the folks, you know, like the week before I would come out and say, please pick out the folks that are willing to do this. Yeah. Don't stick me with somebody who is going to be throwing a fit all day long. And sometimes we didn't have a choice because that – that particular job or activity was, was had run to be, by somebody, but then we yeah. had to kind of really explain ourselves and say, I don't really, do, I'm not doing this to make your day miserable. We're trying to figure out what you're exposed to right. so you don't croak in a, day, in a year or two. Well, that, that is a big part of it, man. Um, explaining to the person who you're going to be doing sampling of what, what you're doing yeah, that's a and how part. it works. I think, you know, again, a lot of the uh, pocket protector hygienists don't have no. great rapport with these employees, no. and that, that leads to problems. It does lead to problems. You know, as Americans, I think, in general, we like to know what's going on. Right. We don't want to have, you know, we don't do secrets well. We don't do charades well. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to me? We don't do government well no, oftentimes. We no, we're, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're very suspicious, and yes. I'm one of those. Mm-hmm. So just explain to me why we're, what we're doing today. And that, and that has cleared up a lot of problems over the years. Right. And, and as that. you said, looking for volunteers. Yeah, or looking that, are, for that are at least not willing. violent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and it's, the dosimeter one always kills me. You hang a noise dosimeter that is going to monitor noise over the course of the workday. And they want to know if it's recording what they say. Yeah, I always explain. Actually, I, I always explain that. Oh, yeah, man. This is not a wire. <laughs> this is not recording anything you say. If it did, I'd have a way bigger insurance and That's retirement exact, account than I do. Exactly. Do whatever yep. you do. But, I mean, there's so many misconceptions, and they really have no idea what you're doing. So no. it is critical that you really yeah. explain it well, first of all. And then, like, the only thing, too, is, like, don't take this to your truck at lunch and right. crank the stereo. Don't hang exactly. out the window. Don't blow air over it. Right. All that's just tap like, on it yeah. all day. I mean, they do those things inadvertently or sometimes intentionally, and that impacts mm-hmm. the results, obviously, and the and the results yeah. impact how we're going to be going forward. So yeah. I can remember coming around a corner. I mean, you know, one of the issues with enforcement was I, I had to, you know, check on the stuff, if not continuously, regularly. Yeah. If I had stuff spread out all over a foundry or something, you know, you were just moving was, constantly yeah. trying to keep up with it. And I would come around a corner. I remember one time coming around a corner. And a welder had the filter unclipped from his collar and had it like down in the plume, in the fume, you know, the plume coming off this weld. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, dude, you just bought yourself a respirator. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, he thought he was just having fun, but you know, no. those results are going to be a problem. No, and I, I, that's what I explained to him too. Like if, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't accuse him like saying, you know, you look like the kind of guy who's going to yeah, screw up my equipment, but like. If we don't get a good answer today, you might be wearing stuff you don't need to later. Right. Or we we doing lots of things we don't need to do otherwise. So exactly let's just right. get what you normally do, move forward, and then we can make some decisions or see what we're working with. Yeah. But I mean, I that that I had one guy smoke. Had I think he he ruined three pumps in an hour for me because I he asked, "Can I smoke with this thing on?" And I'm very accommodating. I'm like, "Of course, you can smoke whenever you want to with that thing on." So of course, and he smoked cigarettes using the pump. No, stuck, stuck, stuck the, the filter of the cigarette onto the pump no. inlet. 
And, and like, he came in 10 minutes later, and he's like, my pump shut down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, gave him a second one, same story, the third yeah. one. Then I'm, I can smell a cigarette tar on the filters yeah. inside the machine. I'm like, okay, yeah. you're not getting the fourth one. Right. Yeah. I, but, uh, but yeah. that was a rare bird. That was probably one or two out of 20 years. So Yeah. I will say something that was very common for me was, uh, and something that if you're doing your own monitoring, you should probably pay attention to. I would... You know, it's really nice if you can get everyone together in the morning to, you know, get their names mm-hmm. and get, get the equipment on them correctly, explain to them as a group what you're doing. You know, there are occasions where you just have to go out into the yeah. plant one at a time and you're repeating yourself over and over. So if you can do it in, in a, as a group, that's helpful. That, like on the bigger places, if we had that opportunity in a big break room, they know we'd say, hey, if you can have the people we need to hook up in that room. Mm-hmm. And I can get their names down, and and we can have a you know like you're saying a group chat and explain everything once. Right. When there's no noise or competing things going on, yeah. we should have we'll have a better day, even though it cuts into our day by about ten minutes. Right. It doesn't take long, but it does make a huge difference. Yes, immense. But I would find people. I would put dosimeters on them, and again, you know, you're sampling within this particular zone. You want to have a dosimeter relatively close to the ear. If you can't up on the collar, typically you want to have filters in the breathing zone, as we describe it. You know, and uh, we'll talk about welding and welding helmets and stuff here in a minute. But, you know, so we get all this stuff set up, and then we send them out into the plant, and then I make my first pass to make sure everything mm-hmm. is copacetic, and they will put their hoodie on or they yep. put their coat on, and now they've got over it. my yep. filter covered or my dosimeter microphone yep. covered or something. And that was always the talk. I'd always make, you know, the, what, the Hawaiian good luck sign mm-hmm. or hang loose sign. This is how far from your mouth and ear I need this equipment. Yep. And it has to be outside your garments at all times or yep. else it's not going to read right. Yeah. And for the most part, everybody was pretty good about it. So, yeah. I mean, it was it was a rare – I mean, there was some I had to fight with all day long because they'd keep taking things off and putting things on incorrectly. But. Yeah. Or they go to the restroom, yeah. take their filter and pump off, or the pump drops into the toilet yeah, or they, something. Everybody was pretty good about not, not doing that. <laughs> oh, but, dude. Yeah. I, oh, I had a number of pumps take a bath in the in the toilet. and Yeah, I'm sure know. that was accidental. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. I, I, I actually remember one time, and I don't mean this to sound inappropriate, but I went into a facility one time that – there were a number of women that worked in the facility, and we were doing air and noise monitoring, and and it was warm in the facility. It was a you know it was winter time, as you said. I mean, it's very seasonal. You know, opportunities to do this are pretty seasonal in Nebraska, but it was warm in the facility. So all the women were wearing uh, like yoga pants mm-hmm. and like little cotton tops or something, and there's just nowhere to hang anything. No. I, and frankly, I'm not comfortable even trying to yeah. get the equipment in place it's just like a disaster I, you know? I, yeah because i've ran into that several times too i'd say here put this on yeah i'll i'll show you where to put it yeah yeah i'm man, not it's going just... to sit training for the next six weeks <laughs> that's right but or jail know, but I, I i got to the point where i was carrying i mean essentially their pistol belts yeah that's what i carry web belts yep web but belts. I, would, I would carry about a half dozen or so in my my uh, equipment cases just mm-hmm. because i was afraid that that was going to happen. Yeah. It, it, invariably, as far as I could get away from my office is where I'd encounter this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you'd be out in the western yeah. Nebraska. Yeah, it'd be a five-hour drive back, and I don't have the right stuff. So yeah. I just started carrying everything. Well, yes, and, and, you know, a lot of, you know, so the clothing is actually very important, you know, to have a collar to be able to connect something to. Mm-hmm. A lot of T-shirts out there. A lot of guys and gals not wearing belts. on well, their. I mean, it's just, you know. 25 years ago, what was standard equipment? You had a. Uh, probably a pretty dirtable work shirt. You had some type of jeans or yep. heavy duty pants with a big thick leather belt, steel yep. toe shoes, and you could 
hook yeah. stuff to things without breaking or tearing or right. gouging things. Right. That that made a huge difference, and that's not the case anymore. Not so anymore. I typically, if I if I know I'm doing a sampling, much like you, I have an opportunity to discuss some of these things in advance with the employer, just to say, hey, look, find people that are willing. Make sure that they're wearing the appropriate clothing to be able to do this. We can kind of lay that stuff out. Yeah. With OSHA, you just walk in and start sampling, and it, it was usually a nightmare, yeah. man. I could, I'm, I'm not sure there. I would ever accept an industrial hygiene citation from OSHA just because I know that, well, I, I can remember I was getting ready to do some sampling when I was relatively new to OSHA. I was in the, they had a little lab area that we called it where we had our equipment and we could do the calibrations, and I was pre-calibrating and, I remember Burmeister walking in and going, what the hell are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm pre-calibrating my pumps, Seth. You know, and he's like, give me, you know, he was just so frustrated with me as if I was wasting time. I was like, I thought this was a pretty important part of the, pro- and, I, and I'm not bad-mouthing Seth, man. He's a good hygienist, but he was just always really frustrated with me. No, and I was, I was pretty, you know, I guess, anal about calibrating equipment, too, because I, oh. I, I took the viewpoint, you know, for what I was doing, like, people's health rides on how good I do Yeah, this. there's a consequence uh, to being uh, a yeah. screw-up. So if I don't do this right and I miss something, that's on me. Exactly. So I, I usually almost, I mean, I, I I did everything to the nth degree as far as I could. I, I, I know other people that I worked with probably chuckled a little bit that yeah. we have in common, but, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. I could sleep at night. Exactly. Well, that that is a big part of this, man. And um, I, I completely agree. Did you have any other... Let's let's talk about the welding a little bit because that is an interesting issue. And we've talked about this, and yeah. you, and you actually know the history of this. I was not aware of this, but only because I got caught short on it. Okay, well, um, that's how I mostly I, learned most I of my. Had, I had done some sampling on a welder for as an OSHA referral, and he was he made me look pretty small and pretty thin. Big dude, and I weigh three sixty and about <laughs> six five, so you can imagine what this guy looked like. Oh, jeez, man! And his welding helmet was the size of a catcher's mask with mm-hmm. some speed glass in it. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to, according to OSHA, to do it right, hang the pump filter inside the helmet with the welder. Right, which is because the... The Caterpillar decision back, and I can't remember the years, back in the early 80s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they OSHA had gone out to Caterpillar, I know Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, somewhere back mm-hmm. east, and they had done a very extensive survey and had got them overexposed. The welders were over. Well, for, for, yeah, for welding yep. fumes. And they went to court over it and... Caterpillar had their own industrial hygienist who had done sampling. Well, he had done both in the helmet and outside the helmet and noticed there was a significant difference. Mm-hmm. And significant can mean various things, but enough mm-hmm. that it would influence the pelt. It was statistically significant, yeah. at least. Yes, yeah, and it showed that if you sampled behind the helmet, it was a lot less exposure than where we would normally do it, like below the, the helmet. Right, outside the, the helmet. Yeah. Yep. And went to court, and the judge agreed with him. Mm-hmm. And from that moment forward, OSHA only sampled inside the helmet. Now, for what I do, or like to think I do, where I'm evaluating people's yeah. health, yeah. outside the helmet, I think, does a better job of that because I know exactly how much is available because every helmet's right. different. Right, and, and they're raising and lowering yeah. the helmet constantly throughout the day. So, I mean, I think that if you're trying to get health and well-being numbers, that's what right. you need to do for yourself. Right, no, I agree. I completely agree. The if enforcement is a little different. bit different. Yeah, so if you're trying to do it for enforcement, then in the helmet's still the thing to do. Right. But, you know, the one thing I've seen that's really making a big change currently is the PAPR, you know, the powered air purifying respirators mm-hmm. that are attached to the welding helmets now. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah, I agree. Nobody that wears one of those 
have we ever gotten overexposed to anything? <clears throat> right. Not even remotely. Yeah, so if, if you were working with some of the exotics, if you were working with stainless steel yes. or some galvanized or treated metals High or something. High copper or something like that. It, yeah. It's, that, it, that ends the problem right there. It does. It's a huge it, game It keeps them cooler in the summer, too, so you don't have to worry about heat stress as much. Right. I think, and the guys like them. They're more productive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, if you're an employer that does a lot of welding and you haven't looked into lease cost sharing with your guys on this, mm-hmm. I think you're missing out. Yeah, I would agree, man. So, any major screw ups in the uh, in your in your memory and your recollection of any of the oh, anything? Just... I, I can remember one time I was at a plant and I had five pumps out and they all started dying. Mm-hmm. You know, and again. From an enforcement standpoint, you don't get many opportunities. No. All of a sudden, you know, you start looking like a buffoon, you know, if, if it's not going well. And I was just trying to juggle pumps to try to get at least one or two full samples, you know. And, I mean, it was, you know, there were just so many occasions where the equipment failed you or. The equipment has a mind of its own. It does. And there's definitely a, an expiration date on the equipment, I mean, at least for the batteries, because that. That was one thing I noticed, and like on my original set of equipment, I had batteries that were almost eight years old before they started dying, but when they died, they all died in a matter of like three weeks mm-hmm. at three different locations that I was <laughs> right, at. Right, so right. everything I did that, well, like of three course. weeks, everything just went to hell Yeah, and had to get new batteries. So it fixed it, but you know those those three clients were probably like, this guy's a buffoon. Exactly. I'm sure but, I, that was mentioned about me many times in my OSHA days. Yeah, I mean it happens. I mean there's just no other way around it sometimes. But well, any any parting thoughts? We're running up on our hour here pretty soon, man. I Plus, I have to use the restroom. <laughs> I mean, is there? I mean, I guess I could catheterize myself for these going forward. But no, I, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head other than just you know proper assessments. Do your due diligence. Don't be afraid yeah. to call for help. Yeah, um, but that initial assessment is really yeah, critical. It is really critical. I would agree. And. For whatever reason, the third party that doesn't work there has more credence, it seems like, yeah. than, than somebody that does work there. So, you know, f- as far as we're, we're free, I don't mm-hmm. know. There's lots of other places you can get a third party that's knowledgeable to come out for a small fee. It'd or be, a large fee. Or a large fee, depending on the case. But, you know, yeah. get help. Yeah, I would agree, man. It's, it's cheaper than but, a And ticket. don't ignore this stuff. It's not going to go away. No. In, in it, fact, it could be much worse than you anticipate. Or it could be nothing, but well, you have to know. I mean, OSHA's initial citation now is, what, 11,000 11, to change? 13.6. Oh, they raised it again, didn't they? Yeah, they raised it again. 13.6 so, for one 13.6 will buy set. a lot of help. Yes, it will. And you don't have to have sleepless nights waiting for your informal hearing date. <laughs> that's right, man. I, I would agree, man. Jim, I think that's good advice. Um, there are a lot of resources out there available. On-site consultation is a great resource, a free resource. I can't emphasize enough how how incredibly valuable that is based on some of the invoices that I've had to send out. And, and again, you know, I, I'm happy to help take care of my clients if they want that service. But more and more of them are either utilizing consultation or they're doing some of their own sampling. I think because the costs are pretty prohibitive at times. I can remember when I was at Terracon one time, I had somebody ask for a sampling event. They had given me, this is what I want, and I sent them the cost. Here's what it's going to cost. And they said to me, well, how much sampling can I get done for like 2000 bucks?" And I'm like, well, I can sample two welders for 47 minutes. Okay, let's do that. I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous. No. I can't do that. O- OSHA frowns on that. Yeah, it's horrible hygiene practice, you know. And, so. I, and I ran into that, you know, a lot of insurance companies used to do their sampling for companies back when I started. 
and they had such huge territories to cover, they would sample for four hours. Mm-hmm. And then move. And then the leave. Yeah. And then they would try and tell the company, well, just double that. That'll be mm-hmm. an eight-hour shift. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not the way that's it works. That's not how it works. No. That's right. And that's another good point, man. And we can just go on, and maybe we'll have to have another session. But just the basic strategy of the sampling, I mean, you want – if it's an eight-hour work shift, you want as much of that yeah. eight-hour work shift as you can get. Yeah, that, that's that's that, I think that's more critical than almost any other aspect. Mm-hmm. That and enough samples to make it worth your while. Right. I mean, they can't sample everybody typically. Although that's one thing about us: if we don't have more than twenty people, we can sample everybody. Yeah, more, which is remarkable. More, too. more, more numbers is more better in, yeah, our, it is. in our world. So yeah, the data is really this is a data-driven yeah um, field, and so. More samples, you know, full duration samples, um, representative samples. Those are, I mean, multiple shifts. Things change from shift yeah. to shift periodically. So that one sample isn't enough to base all of your And I know decisions. we don't do work comp a lot talk here, but I know from some of the people I've talked with, if you have no baseline for noise or some exposures and somebody files a comp claim later on and you have nothing to show that you did your due diligence – Guess whose side that they're going to fall to? Yeah, that's a great without point. an argument because mm-hmm. you have no proof. Yeah, you have otherwise. no no information otherwise. That's no. uh, that's a great point, man. If nothing else, know that the cost of not doing this can be significant down the road. So it's almost important always. to get out and get it done. Yeah, Jimmy, it's good to see you, man. Me too. Uh, it's the weekend almost for you. It sounds like yes, it is. As soon as we wrap this yeah. thing up, yeah, pedal back the Lincoln. It's, it's supposed done. to be a great great weekend. It's supposed to be a beautiful weekend here in Nebraska. We got the Easter thing coming up on Sunday, yep. if that's your thing. Uh, we hope you have a happy Easter and get to sh- spend at least. I, I think we're allowed to actually, uh, like, at least, like, look at our family from across the yard or something now. I don't know what the, the rules are at this point. But yeah, I think that's good. I think we'll be able to get a yeah. few people together Listen, and so. throw ham at each other. From Go the, drive by mom's <laughs> house and throw a ham at her. <laughs> that's right. That throw like her a ham in the driveway. Yeah, right. <laughs> Some scalloped potatoes. Enjoy. Yeah, happy Easter, Mom. Yeah, good for Yeah, that's cool. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, have a good weekend and a, and a good week next week, and we will be back uh, in touch next Friday. Uh, thanks, and take care. Later. A Huda Media Production.